and we read John chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to just continue this thought that we've heard this morning about the uh, Holy Spirit. And um, can I ask someone to call my <laughs> call my wife and put her on the phone? She's not here because she's at the house um, entertaining some guests that are coming to look at the house and she wants to hear the message. So can someone just dial her number so that she can listen? Thanks. Um, I can't do it on my phone at the same time. John chapter 5 and verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 8. How many of you guys have ever moved before? (laughs) How many know what it's like? (laughs) Lots of packing, lots of last minute things. Yeah, and um, lots of lots of things that happen in the last minute. And you know what's really interesting is that whenever there's spiritual promotion in your life that's going to happen, uh, you're always going to get attacked. You know, you know, there's always going to be these weird attacks that happen, especially those things that are the most stable in your life. You know, like how could that go wrong? Because you know. And we don't want to dread attacks, but we also want to be able to define them. And I think a Christian that has no spiritual warfare in their life should be asking them themselves that question, am I in the will of God? And so, thanks, Pastor Kyle. And so it's whenever, whenever you're in a place where God is moving you to the next level, like we see with the message we just heard now, you're redigging your dad's wells because Abraham Abraham dug the wells, then they were plugged up. The devil wants to stop that flow of the Holy Spirit through God's man, Abraham. And then Isaac is like out of honor and respect and integrity, he wants to redig those wells. And once the flow to begin, that was such a great message. It's so interesting because the word Essek means to argue. And that's one of the strategies of the devil, isn't it? To um, get you and I into the wrong kind of argument. And then after we win that argument, that, that seems that, that quarrel, then we enter into, we dig those wells. And then another level of attack comes, and, that's, and that place was called Sitna which is actually a name in the Old Testament for a specific type of demonic army. And that particular demonic army are known for their accusations and their, their hindrances in, the, in your life for the plan of God. So what did, what did Isaac do? We just heard the message. He redug it anyway. And then what happened? No more argument. No more quarrels. Because the devil has been tactically defeated. And then God brings him to a place and he calls it he calls that place, which is translated into the English language, a spacious, a wide place, a secure place. And I think that's God's will. When we read in John chapter 5, after this was a feast of the Jews, another feast, <laughs> lots of feasts going on in the book of John, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. Now in Jerusalem, we know that around the city of Jerusalem, there were these gates each gate had a name. This gate here was the sheep gate, most likely because this is where the sheep came in and out. 
there was a pool next to that gate, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Bethesda, which means in the Hebrew or in the original language, a house of mercy. House of mercy. Okay? We've heard of the house of pain. We've heard the house of many different things, but this was the house of mercy or the place of mercy. And remember what mercy is in the Bible. Mercy is what? It's we are not getting what we deserve, correct? We are not getting what we deserve. What's grace? We are getting something that we could never deserve, right? So when someone asks you, what's the difference between grace and mercy? Mercy is I get what I'm not deserve. I don't get what I deserve, which for us means hell and the consequence of sin. And grace means undeserved favor or getting something that we could never deserve. So there's a pool here called Bethesda. And this is a pool that represents a place of mercy where people go and they don't get what they deserve. They don't get what they deserve. So there was five porches. And what that means is that there were these ledges around the pool. And there was five of them at different, at different places. And this place has been unearthed archaeologically can be confirmed. You know what's great about the Bible is that everything can be archaeologically confirmed. It's amazing. And having these five porches, and in verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And in verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time, and this I think it was referring, pretty much sure, refers to a one-time event. Um, an angel came and would, came down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first into the water, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now that verse is kind of curious. What is this talking about? An angel came at a certain time, stirred up the water, and the first person in the pool would be healed, and then the rest would not be healed. Um, when you look at this scripture, the second part of verse 3 and verse 4, those verses cannot be found in the earliest manuscripts of the word. Uh, these were probably added by a translator 400 years later, 400 years later after the close of scripture. This was probably a note in the margin of somebody's, somebody's manuscript, and it was added later as scripture. So what this is saying here is, and when we read that, we can actually say this is probably not wrong because what these verses are referring to is a superstitious event that at one point in, the in time past, there was an uh, urban legend that an angel came down from heaven, stirred the waters, and the first person that got into the pool was healed. But it can't be verified, and we see that John, the writer here, doesn't spend much time, doesn't spend any time explaining, to, explaining it. Because that's not the important point. So when we look at this scripture, and I think if you're reading a newer version, a newer translation, you're probably not seeing those verses there. But in King James, it's there. So what's happened here is, is that there's a superstition that, this, that these people had that at one point in a certain time that there was an event and people got healed. And so, people, so you have all of these sick and lame and paralyzed people all around this uh, pool, this kind of a area where there was water on these five porches. And they're all waiting for this event to happen where the water would be stirred in some way 
and would, and someone could throw them in. And, and in verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Imagine being sick with something for 38 years. Wow. <laughs> 38 years you're sick with something. When Jesus saw him lying there, so he's one of these people that are laying there. He's been there, we don't know how long, but we can, we can imagine that he's been there for a very long time, waiting for an event to happen. And as he saw him laying there in verse 6, and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? Interesting question. Isn't that kind of obvious? <laughs> Jesus, I'm laying here. 38 years sick. I can't move. I'm paralyzed. I'm, I'm lame. And you're asking me if I want to be made well. I think it's important to understand the questions that Jesus asks people. When he asks us a question, when God asks you and I a question, he is stirring up something inside of us, maybe an answer that we have not defined yet. It's like asking someone, hey, do you really want to win this game? Have you ever been on a team and the team has not answered that question. Do we really want to win this game or not? You ever been in a place where like, I don't know if we really want to win this game. You ever been in a game like that where you're playing with a team and the coach says, guys, do you really want to win this game? And we're like, well, yeah, I think we want to win this game. Let's win this game. <laughs> and this is what Jesus is doing. He is asking a question to this lame man who is, lame, who is sick for 38 years and asks him the obvious question that maybe this man has not defined the answer. And the, and the man, what does the man do? Instead of saying yes, instead of saying yes to Jesus, the man goes into his situation. He says, verse 7, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool where the water, when the water is stirred up. So what does he do here? He doesn't say yes to God. He doesn't say yes to the very simple question. And Jesus asks the man the question because he wants to draw out of the man what's in his soul. What is the main issue going on in this man's soul? And in this man's soul, we don't see that he wants to be healed. Maybe he wants to be healed, but he's got something else going on in his soul. And that soul is focused on this one circumstance. What does he say? Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. What's he focused on? What is this man focused on laying by the pool? And I think this can happen in a lot of Christians' lives. This can happen to us in this room very often. We can find ourselves in a place waiting for an opportunity for something to happen. We're sitting there. We're considering. We're looking at all these people around us like blind and lame and paralyzed and sick. And people that are just in such a bad condition in life. We're laying there we're like, and you yourself can't move. We can find ourselves sometimes spiritually paralyzed. You ever find yourself in that situation? Maybe paralyzed in another way. Maybe we're paralyzed with fear. Maybe we're paralyzed with depression. Maybe we're paralyzed with a traumatic experience that happened to us years ago. Maybe 40 years ago something happened to something, something to someone and they're still paralyzed by it. You'd be amazed what things still paralyze people. And we can find ourselves laying next to that pool in a house of mercy. What's the house of mercy? Well, the first thing I think of at the house of mercy is the church. The church is a place where we can come and we're not going to get what we deserve. 
You know what I'm saying? Like Ron said, like, you know, God uses people that don't necessarily deserve it. And that's because God is a gracious God and God is glorified when he gives grace, not when we earn it. And so here's a man, he's totally paralyzed. He cannot get in that pool. And we don't see here historically that the, that the pool was stirred up often. We only, when we look at the context in the Greek, we can actually say it only happened one time and we don't even know when that happened and if that was some kind of an urban legend. So he's there, he says, sir, I have no man. Can you imagine the wheeling and dealing that's going on by this pool? Somebody, someone comes in with all their faculties and everyone's saying, hey, can I get from you a commitment that when the pool is, when the pool is stirred up, when there's a bubbling or something in the pool, that you'll just throw me in. And the word there is to cast. It means to grab someone and to throw someone in so quick that they're the first one to touch the water. It sounds like a very high tension, a very difficult situation. And so imagine all, I mean, the, you know, family members coming. Hey, how you doing? You know, like, hey, can you stay here with me? Because I don't know when this water is going to get stirred up. In the Middle East and in, East, in Eastern Europe, and I'm sure in the States too, there are these pools of water that have different kinds of minerals and elements in them that when you bathe in it, the salts and the minerals in the water actually are healing and are, are in some way medicinal. And there are pools like that in Poland, right near where my wife is from. There are these pools where you can go and you can soak and actually your arthritis feels a lot better. It actually, the pain goes away. It's because of the salts and the minerals that are in the water that come into your tissues on a cellular level and heal it. So this is what they may have been getting mixed up with. And so what does Jesus hear? He hears this man say, I have no man to put me in the pool. How many times have we heard people say that? I'm in this situation. I have no man to help me. No one is here to help me. Or I don't have any money to pay this situation. Or how about this? I don't have anyone in my family that's on my side. Or I can't follow God in my calling because of this thing in my life. I got to get that all right. I got to get that fixed before I can follow God. Or how about this? Um, it can be, you can, that's a, that's a variable that you can plug anything into in your life. Lord, I have blank reason to not be healed or to be, to take that step. And as we heard Pastor Ron said, I think it's a very good place when we are in a great need because when we are in great need, remember the Holy Spirit is like water. It flows to the deepest, most empty part of the ground and fills it. And as it fills it, it'll go up. The love of God is the same way, that it seeks out those deepest, darkest, emptiest places in our soul and wants to fill that first because of the gravitational pull. Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. Think of all the people, in the, the young people in the inner city. I think about that. You know, you see, these young, you see these young people, energetic people that just have a lot of energy. And they're like, you know, I've got a bum rap in life. You know, I, I can't get a job because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from this area or I'm, I'm this certain type of person. I'm being, I'm being um, you know, being, what's the word, uh, discriminated against. 
I have no man to give me a good job. How many ways can we say, I have no man that will recognize me and put me in a place? I have no man. The answer here that Jesus is looking for is yes, I want to be healed. But we are, we are people that get so wrapped up with our circumstances, our situations. And that's normal because we are, we are frail creatures. And he says here, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. As I think another place in life that people find themselves is that they can't keep up. I, I get going, and then someone gets in front of me. You know, they cut in front of me. I'm not fast enough. I don't have the wits. I don't have the physical strength. I don't seem to have the luck to get in front in life. Every time I make motion in that direction, I feel like that I'm being someone is cutting in front of me. And in verse 8, Jesus said to him, (laughs) I like this. Jesus does not get into all of these arguments and discussions. Jesus is speaking to us from another level. And he says, rise up, take your bed, and walk. I like that word rise because... Jesus is here. Look at the scene, okay? Picture the scene in your mind. All these sick people laying on these five ledges around the pool. Everyone's moaning, groaning, waiting for that. They're all expecting the water to be, to be, to be agitated, to be stirred up, or whatever it is that happens. And because some of, these mineral, some of these mineral pools actually bubble sometimes, and they're waiting for that to happen. And then Jesus comes... Jesus is the house of mercy. He is the stirring of the water. Jesus said when Martha and Mary were lamenting the death of their dear brother Lazarus, they said, if you had come early, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, you know what? I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Mary, Martha, you're talking about circumstances. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus walks in. Talk to speak to this man that's laying there for 38 years with his ailment, and Jesus is saying, I am that stirring of the water that you're looking for. And he said, but Jesus says, I have to first ask you this question. Do you have the desire? Do you have that desire? And I think that sometimes we get into circumstances and we don't have the desire to even get out. Because I remember, remember Big Dave? I think he was he was here with Pastor Schaller months ago. Really huge guy. He ran a bar downtown in Baltimore on Fleet Street. This was like one of the hopping places in, in the inner city of Baltimore. He had the place would be open all night. This guy was one of the hardest people. And um and he used to he before he got saved and then when he got saved, he say, he told us, and I never will forget this, he said, I used to pray that I would have the desire to have the desire to get out of alcohol. Hmm. He said, I used to pray to have that desire to just even desire because I didn't even have the desire to get out of my situation. And here this man is in this situation and he doesn't necessarily even understand if he has the desire to come out of it. And here's the thing, I love this because this is so comforting because Jesus is talking to a man that has no motivation, no desire, and no ability. And this is where you and I are at many times in our Christianity. We have no desire. We know what we're supposed to do, but we have zero desire. Number two, we have no motivation. 
And number three, we just don't have any ability. You ever feel spiritually paralyzed just laying there? Like, I know I should be getting out of this bed, mm-hmm. but I cannot get out of this bed. You ever been in that situation? Amen. You ever been in that situation where I know i got to make that phone call or do this, but I cannot do it? What does Jesus do? He says, rise up. And this is the first thing I just want to mention, this very simple message. Rise up. There's a moment where we need to allow the, whole, the word of Christ, the word of God, to raise us up out of our circumstances. You know, the Bible is amazing. Because when we open our Bible and start to read eternal words that never change, it rises us up out of our circumstance. It puts us at another level. It puts us at another level of thinking, a higher level of thinking, where Jesus is at. And the second thing he says, take up your bed and walk. I like that. Take your bed. Jesus doesn't say just leave your bed there. He says take it. What does that mean to us today? It means that when we rise up in our thinking, when the Word of God quickens the mind, we are actually taking possession of something that has been our bed in our infirmity that we didn't have before. When we rise up in our thinking, we begin to take possession and take control of things that we had just no power over before. And that's awesome because when we begin to rise in our thinking, when we allow the Word of God through the Holy Spirit to quicken our minds in Romans 8.11, to stir our minds up, to begin to think with God above principalities and powers, then we begin to take possession, take ownership of things in our life that have become something that's so familiar to us that's a place of weakness. And then the third thing he says, and walk, and walk. Walk with me. Walk. Just begin to walk in your life. God doesn't take pleasure in spiritual paralysis in our life. He wants us to walk in his plan. Amen. He wants us to take steps of faith. He'll, he'll, he'll create circumstances in our life where we just only have one direction. That's to step out. <laughs> Ever Amen. been in that? Amen. You know, here's, here's Lot. God's going to come down and destroy his city because of the sin of the of the sodomy, the sodomy in that city. And Lot is led out. I want to finish with this. I want to finish with this. Is that when we look at our inability, we have to understand that faith is not to be in people or in a circumstance. This man had his faith in the pool. Some people in the inner city have their faith in a job, in a career. Some of us may have our faith in a change of circumstance. Because faith in faith or faith in an experience becomes idolatry. Number two, faith is based on the mercy of God and not through what I can determine in my life. You know, God wants to do things in our life based on mercy, not because based on our achievement. God just wants to hand us things on the silver platter of his grace. Um, and the next thing is faith is the only non-meritorious system of perception in the world today. Faith is the only non-meritorious system in the world today. Meaning that, look at your life based on this. That God is going to be blessing me, not on things that I can achieve in my life, but based on who He is. Alright? I'm going to finish with these three things. Faith will never make you earn what God plans to give you. Faith is never going to make you earn those things that God has in His plan to hand to you. There are things that God has 
and his plan for you in this room today. There are people in this room today that God has some amazing things for. And he's not going to make you earn that. In the world, you've got to earn your bread, don't you? Yeah. In the kingdom of God, it doesn't work that way. Because if we earn, then we fail. And that we glory in ourselves. God, faith does not make us earn what he desires to give to us in his plan. How many of you this year have just seen the gracious hand of God give you things that you could have never earned? I could raise my hand right there. Amen. I look at my life and say, I could have never earned this. And I just want to, fit, I just want to finish with this, is that faith... See, when the, man, when, the man looked at, when the man looked at Jesus and heard what he was saying, he responded to what Jesus said. Faith is not about what you and I can create. Faith is just responding to what the Bible says. Looking at Jesus Christ, if you and I lack in our life faith and motivation and we feel spiritually paralyzed, we can't lead and we feel that we are unable and we're waiting for an experience or waiting for that promotion or waiting for that recognition or waiting for that you know, that experience. We're going to be waiting for a long time. Look to Jesus Christ who is in our midst at that moment who says to us, rise in your thinking because faith is thinking. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and verse 6. Faith is thinking. Rise in your thinking. Number two, take up your bed. Take that thing that you've been using in your life as a crutch, possess it, and then walk with God. And just take steps with God. Take steps with God in your life. Because you know what he wants to do? Does God want to, if we take steps of faith, does God want to take us down and beat us down? I don't think so. God wants to bring us to that place, as we heard earlier, to Gerar, to that place of that promised land, that spacious place where the devil can no longer argue with us and accuse us. He wants to bring us to that place we stand in Christ in faith and possess our possessions as Jacob did because God gets glory when we respond to grace in, your, in our lives. Amen? Amen? God's got some great things for you in this room today. I really, I mean, and Christians across the world. Just don't fill your mind with the trash on TV. Fill your mind with the riches that are in the Word of God and that will rise us up in our thinking. We'll take our bed and we'll be walking with God. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.